And let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 12, tonight beginning with verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, Peter couldn't believe that what was happening was really happening. He thought maybe he was just dreaming this. He thought perhaps it was a vision. But when the reality of what had happened hit him, after the angel left him and suddenly he realized he was not chained to the soldiers in the prison. He was out free in the streets of Jerusalem. And so the realization, I wasn't dreaming, it's a reality. When he came to himself, he said, Now I know of a certainty that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all of the expectation of the people of the Jews. They were expecting Peter to be beheaded just as James had been beheaded a few days earlier. And Herod, when he saw how much that pleased the Jews, he was determined to also execute Peter, to destroy the leadership of the church, and hopefully to put the church out of commission. So, in our last lesson, we saw how that Peter was put in jail by Herod Agrippa, who intended at the end of the feast period, which was uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was intending to bring Peter forth uh, that he might execute him and curry a greater favor even yet of the Jews. But the night before the appointed execution, as Peter was there in prison, the angel came, told him to fasten his sandals, grab his tunic, and follow the angel. The chains whereby he was chained to the soldier on either side fell off. The guards obviously were oblivious to what was happening. He and the angel walked past, and the gates opened of their own accord until the angel led him out to the streets of Jerusalem and then disappeared. An interesting story of how an angelic being came to minister to Peter and to deliver him from prison. The Bible tells us quite a bit about angels. We know that they are spirits. We know that they have the capacity of taking on visible forms. We know that they number into the hundreds of millions. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, as the church is there in heaven, worshiping and declaring the worthiness of the Lamb to take the scroll and loose the seals. They're singing the song of redemption. 
they are then joined by the angels. 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million. Plus thousands of thousands, that would be millions more. Join in that glorious anthem of praise as they declare the worthiness of the Lamb to receive the glory, the honor, the power, the thrones, the dominions, the authority over the universe. We know that the angels were created sometime before the universe was created. In Job chapter 38, after Job's friends had done their best to make Job feel convicted over he didn't know what, because behind the scenes, God was working, and there was this dispute between God and Satan concerning Job. And after their discourses and Job's offering his complaints and his lack of understanding, finally the Lord came on the scene. And the Lord began to ask Job questions. Job had been speaking as though he had answers. He had been speaking about things that he really didn't know about. He had been speaking about uh, the grave where there was no consciousness and all. And so God challenged him with a series of questions. But the Lord in this series of questions said, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if you know? Or who has stretched a line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy. God's talking about the creation of the earth. Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So the angels were around at the laying of the foundation of the earth. At the creation of the universe. And they were shouting for joy. They were singing together. No doubt of the glorious powers of God as they saw them manifested in bringing the universe into existence. Angels are ranked in various authority according to authority and power and principalities and mights and thrones and dominions. This is speaking of the different ranking of the angels like uh, sergeants, corporals and buck privates. And, and thus God's order, the angels are listed in various ranks. The highest ranking it would seem would be that of archangel 
And the Bible makes reference to Michael as an archangel. In the uh, Apocrypha book of Enoch, uh, he lists seven archangels, but there's nothing in the Bible to confirm uh, the account of Enoch. Gabriel, one of the important angels, visited with Daniel in about 550 B.C. He told Daniel of the time of the coming of the Messiah. 550 years later, this same angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist. And as he was ministering in the temple, for he was a priest, the angel Gabriel came to him and told him that his wife, who was barren and elderly, was in her old age to bear a son. He was to call his name John and that he would go before the Messiah. And when Zacharias questioned, the angel said, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. So, uh, an important angel, Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Around the same time he visited Zacharias, he also visited a young virgin in Nazareth, whose name was Mary. He told Mary that she had been chosen by God for the blessed honor and privilege of being the earthly instrument by which the Son of God would be brought into the earth. And so we have the angel Gabriel and the only two angels that we actually know by name are Michael and Gabriel, but they no doubt all of them have names. The word angel literally means messenger. And oftentimes in the scriptures we see them in the position of bringing God's message unto men. There is a class of angels that is called the cherubim. And the cherubim we find in uh, the book of Ezekiel in chapters 1 and chapters 10 around the throne of God. John also when he was taken to heaven uh, saw the cherubim about the throne of God and he describes as does Ezekiel the cherubim they are saying holy 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 Lord God Almighty and are somehow related to the holiness of God when Adam was cast out of the garden of Eden because of his disobedience the Lord set the cherubims to guard the gate into the Garden of Eden, lest Adam would seek to return and eat of the tree of life. Satan 
was originally created in this class. He was called the cherub, the anointed cherub that covers. The word cherub is singular, whereas cherubim is plural. And thus, he was one of the cherubim. And uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee suggests that he was the choir director in heaven. And when he was cast out of heaven, he came into the choir loft. And uh, I guess he had trouble with the music department in his church because uh, he was always referring to uh, the devil was in charge of the choir. He never did say just who it was that he had a problem with, but he evidently did. In the Psalms, we are told that God has given the angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. Psalm 91, 11. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. This, of course, was the scripture that Satan quoted to Jesus when he was tempting him to cast himself off of the pinnacle of the temple. In the book of Hebrews, we read concerning angels. Are they not all ministering spirits who have been sent forth to minister to those that are heirs of salvation? And this, of course, is certainly the case in our story with Peter as the angel came to minister to him and to deliver him from imprisonment to save him from the death that Herod was plotting upon his life. But though angels are spirits, they have the capacity of appearing in human form. And so we are told in Hebrews 13, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. They are a higher order in, of creation than man. Angels cannot die. We read that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, that is, when he became a man, for the suffering of death. As, as God, of course, he could not die, even as an angel, but he was made as men a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And yet we see him crowned with glory and honor. Peter says that they are greater in power and might than we are. But when our redemption is complete in Christ, when we are there in his kingdom, beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doesn't yet appear what we're going to be, but we know when he appears, we're going to be like him for we will see him as he is, and we will then be as redeemed saints of God in a higher category than even the angels. And Paul tells us that we will actually be judging the angels. So, Peter met the angel, 
who delivered him out of prison and from the hand of Herod. And when he realized that he was free, he went to the house of Mary, who was the mother of John Mark, where the church or a part of the church had gathered for fervent prayer for Peter. Earnest prayer, fervent prayer. And so they were meeting in the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark is the mark of the gospel, according to Mark. He was the nephew of Barnabas. And when Paul and Barnabas, in a couple of chapters, went on their, or in the next chapter actually, when they went on their first missionary journey, Mark went with them. But when they left Cyprus and were heading over to uh, Asia Minor, Mark either got cold feet or he got homesick. He was still just a young fellow. And perhaps homesick, he decided to go home and did not continue with uh, Paul and Barnabas on over to Asia Minor. So that when Paul and Barnabas were planning the second missionary journey to go back over the territory where they had been before to encourage the saints and to see how the work was going, Barnabas wanted to take his nephew, John Mark, with him again. But Paul objected because of the fact that he had uh, left them on the first journey. And so the contention between Paul and Barnabas became so heavy that they broke company. And Barnabas took Mark and headed off for Cyprus, where, of course, Barnabas had come from. And Paul took Silas and they headed off for Asia Minor. And so God used this uh, division between Paul and Barnabas to actually double the missionary uh, efforts instead of one team, now two teams going out. The differences that Paul had with Mark were later resolved, which is evidenced by Paul's second letter to Timothy when he told Timothy, take Mark and bring him with you. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. So that whole issue, of course, ultimately was resolved and Mark uh, became very profitable to Paul in the ministry. Now at that time they had no church buildings. But for the most part the church would meet in the homes. They went from house to house, we read, breaking bread. As Paul is uh, addressing uh, individuals at the end of the book of Romans, he speaks of the church that was in their house. Uh, and so uh, it's uh, in the early beginnings of the church. Uh, they met in homes. And so uh, Mary, the mother of John Mark, 
no doubt have one of the home churches. And uh, many of the people had gathered in her house for a prayer meeting. Desperate days for the church. James has been beheaded. It has stirred up a lot of excitement among the Jews. Herod is now sort of taking the lead against the church to ingratiate himself with the Jews and figures that the coup would be to execute Peter. It seems like the survival of the church is at stake and thus the church is desperate. I think that we are living in desperate days today. As far as our nation is concerned. And I'm glad that we're having a national day of prayer. And all across America, Christians are going to be gathering to pray for the nation. And again, we invite you to be with us as we gather to pray for the nation. But the church had gathered and there was really the danger of survival at this point. And I would imagine that they were praying for Peter's release. When Peter knocked on the door of the gate, the church usually met behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And so when they would gather, they would lock the doors and meet together. And Peter was knocking at the door of the gate, which was locked for fear of the Jews. When this young girl named Rhoda responded to the knocking, and when she heard Peter's voice, who is it? It's Peter, let me in. She was so excited that she didn't open the door. But she ran into where they were praying and declared, Peter is at the gate. And they said to her, you're crazy. Now, probably someone was praying, Lord, set Peter free. Deliver him, Lord. And others were saying, Amen, yes, Lord. And here she comes in all excited and says, Peter's at the door. And says, You're crazy. <laughs> but when she continued to insist that, Yes, she heard him. He's at the door. They said it must be a ghost or his angel. They knew that Peter had been guarded by four quaternions of soldiers. They knew how that he was chained to two soldiers 24 hours a day one on either side, his wrist chained to the soldier's wrist on either side. 
They knew that two soldiers were standing guard at the door where Peter was being held. And that the guard would change every six hours so that they would remain fresh and alert. And they could not see any possible way by which Peter could be delivered from that kind of a guard. To them, it was an impossibility. So that when Rhoda announces Peter's at the door, they can't believe it. Because they failed to take into account God's power. You see, whenever you remove God from the equation, you've got a problem. But the problems are always solved when you include God into the equation. For with God, all things are possible. Too often, when we are faced with problems, we are prone to look at the difficulties. We're prone to sort of figure out or try to figure out in our own minds how God might possibly do it. If I just win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, I'm going to be okay. God, let him draw my number. And you see, all of a sudden, my prayer becomes a direction prayer rather than a direct prayer. The direct prayer would be, Lord, help. <laughs> I've got bills that need to be paid. Help, Lord. That would be the direct prayer. But when I figure out how God might be able to do it, Inasmuch I received notification that I'm in the finals of that Reader's Digest sweepstakes, it may not be too difficult a thing for God. So Lord, help them to get my number now. And that's a direction prayer. And the problem with direction prayers is that God doesn't always follow our directions. The direct prayer. Is just saying, Lord, you see my needs and you've promised to supply my needs according to your riches in glory. But we're so prone to, to look at the circumstances and the impossibilities. And our prayers generally... Prone, are prone to take over our limitations and our inability to God. If it is something that is simple for us, then we figure it must be simple for God. If it's difficult for us, then we say, well, Lord, now this is a little tough. I don't know, uh, but, well, you're great. You can probably do it, you know. But where it's something that is impossible, 
then though we may be praying that God will do it, we really don't have much faith that he will. And so here's the church, and they're praying for Peter, praying for his deliverance. But because they can't see how he could possibly get freed from the four quaternions of, of soldiers, 16 of them that are guarding him around the clock, they really don't have much faith that it's going to happen. Which is interesting because we so often make such a big issue over faith, and rightfully so. Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to that mountain over there, be removed and cast in the sea. And if you didn't doubt, it would be done. Jesus said, and whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. But Jesus was saying so often to his disciples, O ye of little faith. And so, faith is important and faith is good, but it isn't an essential, always. Here they were praying, not much faith, obviously. But they were asking for God to do something that God was wanting to do. And so in spite of their unbelief, God did it anyhow. And Peter was delivered from the hand of Herod. I wonder how many things that we pray for that we never really expect God to answer. So Peter was outside and he just continued to knock. Now, I imagine that he was a little concerned, didn't want to make too much noise, didn't want to alarm the neighborhood, uh, didn't want to have the Roman soldiers coming and looking for him. But he continued to knock. And when they opened the door and saw Peter, they were astonished. And he beckoned with his hand for them to hold their peace. I imagine that the ladies were so excited. There were squeals of joy and all. And Peter said, shh. <laughs> he beckoned with his hand and, and, and somehow just ooh, cool it, you know, peace. And the men were probably shouting and saying, Peter, can't believe it, you know. And they're just, and, and Peter said, shh. He was fearful that the neighborhood would be alarmed. And Peter then testified to them of how the Lord delivered him from the prison. And he told them, go and tell James. James, who was the brother of Jesus, who seemed to be one of the leaders of the early church. And then Peter departed and went to another place. No doubt, Peter went to hide out from uh, the uh, soldiers of Herod. Now, in the morning, when Peter was sent for, 
There was no small stir among the soldiers as to what in the world could possibly have happened. How did he get out? Now, this is the second time that the Lord delivered Peter from prison by an angel, by divine intervention. Back in the fifth chapter, we read that the uh, doors of the prison opened of their own accord for Peter, and he was let out by the Lord in chapter 5. And now the second time, the Lord plans a jailbreak for Peter. And uh, we know that the Lord uh, did that for Paul there in Philippi uh, with an earthquake as Paul was in the stocks in the inner prison. And the earthquake opened the gates and released Paul and the other prisoners. And how through that the Philippian jailer was converted. So in the morning when Herod sought for Peter and could not find him, after questioning the guards, he had them put to death. Now, this only affirms the fact that that was the fate that he was planning for Peter. For if you were a guard and a prisoner was entrusted to your keeping, should that prisoner escape from you, you would have to pay the penalty that he was to receive. So the fact that they had the guards put to death indicates that Herod was planning to put Peter to death. The feast is now over and Herod returns back to Caesarea. And he there will meet a disastrous end, which we will get in our next lesson as we will close out on Herod in the lesson next week. Father, we thank you for your angels that you have dispatched to watch over us to keep us in all of our ways, to bear us up, lest we should fall. Lord, we are so grateful for these ministering spirits that have been sent forth to minister to us who are heirs of salvation. The Lord, we're even more grateful for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. For the grace of God that we have received, which things the angels can't quite understand and they desire to look into it, that you would dwell in us and that we could have this wonderful communion with you. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that we will not find ourselves limiting you by our own limitations. But that we will be faithful in prayer, but Lord, looking not at the problem, not at the situations, but looking to you. 
For looking at the problems, Lord, only inspires doubt. Looking to you inspires trust and faith. And Lord, we know that you are God. There is nothing too hard for you. There's nothing that is even difficult for you. That you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ask or think. Lord, there are those of your people here tonight that need your touch. Need your help. Need your guidance. They need your provisions, Lord. And we know that the God who was able to deliver Peter from an impossible situation can deliver us. And so, Lord, may our faith be increased as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>